Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. Well, we've made it. This is lesson number 13, the 13th session in this quarter. We're going to tie the book of Genesis together. The title of this chapter of this lesson is Israel in Egypt. And if you've been with us for the last 13 weeks, you may remember that at the very beginning of this time, on our first lesson together, we had as our guest Dr. Philip Saman. Dr. Saman is a professor emeritus at the Southern Adventist University, a former professor at the Theological Seminary at Andrews University, where he served for about 10 years. He's also been a missionary in Africa. He's a prolific author. Uh, I happen to have a great many of his books. And in addition to that, he's the former editor of the Sabbath School Lesson. Dr. Saman, welcome back once again. Thank you. Delighted to have you. Now, let's, let's dig into this, this last lesson. But before we dig into the, the meat of it, if you will, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit of the culture, the biblical culture that comes into play in this particular lesson. We, we started our time together in the book of, of Genesis with Adam and Eve and creation and the fall, and now here we are down looking at the story of Israel and Egypt. But, but biblical culture plays a role in what's happening here. How, what is that? How does that come into play? Well, I grew up in that culture of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the first thing I want to say that a father, a godly father's blessing is very crucial to his sons and his daughters. And so therefore, when Jacob blessed, in, in parentheses, also cursed, I don't mean cursed the persons, but actually cursed the bad behavior, that really affected the life and future of these sons. Remember when Isaac was blessing Jacob. And then his brother Esau came later on, and he wanted to be blessed. He said, I already blessed your brother before you. And then in, in anguish he said, but father, you have no blessing, not one blessing left for me. You see, this appointment he had because he wanted to have his father blessing to affect his life for good. In the Western world, that blessing of a godly father is not that important. I believe if it were important, we would avoid many pitfalls to bring people closer to God and each other. There's no doubt. We look at society today and we see that there is a lot of godlessness of, of people living their lives apart from the guidance of Scripture. And, and all the way back here in the book of Genesis, we see the importance of, of having a Bible-based belief system, a, a Bible-based worldview. And this last chapter here, this last lesson, kind of brings some of these things together. The promise was made that through you all nations will be blessed. How, how does that, uh, there's a blessing on a father, and uh, from a father to a son and, or a daughter, but how does that blessing come down to all nations? What, how do we see that evidenced here? It was partially fulfilled in Egypt. Now remember, the two brothers, Simon and Levi, did not bless the nation around them. They actually killed them. But, but God gives us a chance to recover from that. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. And Joseph, his son, blessed the nation of Egypt. And many people who came to uh, buy the, the grain to stay alive. 
So it was partially fulfilled at that time to be continued later. So we're still looking forward to some of that blessing in the future. We've certainly seen some of it already. But we talked about, we've been talking about Joseph, and last week we talked about how uh, he came to Egypt and God blessed him there, and, and, and then his father and brothers come down as well. It must have been at least a little bit difficult for Jacob to he, Jacob was not a young man when he made this journey. Uh, he was advanced in years, we'll, we'll say that. But he had some motivation to, to go from where he was at least relatively comfortable to someplace unknown. What kind of motivation did he have? Well, the first motivation is his basic human need. When you're hungry, you got to eat. So he knew he would have starved in Canaan. So he, uh, uh, he agreed to go to Egypt to stay alive, he and his children. The second motivation, which I think is stronger, his love for Joseph. Can you put yourself in his place? For years he believed without a doubt that Joseph was killed by a beast. And he had his, his shirt of many colors stained with that blood. He believed Joseph was gone, not to be seen again. And the amazing shock, uh, the, 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 the pleasant shock, let me say, to know his son was alive. Where? In Egypt. What was he doing in Egypt? Was he there just to, to make sure he stays alive, feeding himself? No, no. He was second command to the Pharaoh. Well, I mean, can you imagine the emotions that lingered in, in Jacob's heart? And, and he had to go to Egypt. And this, this must have been just overwhelming joy and wonder and just being shocked at how God blessed. And he, he, he'd felt pain and anguish for all those years. And now not only is there good news, but it's, it's good news times 10 that Joseph is alive and he's doing so very, very well. So, so Jacob, Israel, goes down into Egypt. And, and when he does, what are some things that happen, some significant events during his life there in Egypt? Well, he stayed there for many years. And, you know, it was shameful for Pharaoh and the Egyptians, nobility to associate with shepherds. That was a very lowly, menial kind of work. But Pharaoh respected them when they told him, we're shepherds. And he said, let me give you your own land in Dothan, and you be in charge. You lead out in, in taking care of my flocks. And it was good that they uh, lived in Dothan, not to be associated with all the sophistication and sinful behavior of the Egyptians. They remained by themselves, to carry on their culture and their relationship with God as shepherds. Part of that, that culture that they were carrying on was this, what we talked about a moment ago, was these blessings. How did, how did God bless his children, Joseph's family, through Jacob? I mean, he blessed them in such a great way. They multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. I mean, till they became a threat to the future pharaohs. And you know, this reminds me in an in a interesting way that when Jacob was with Laban, how his flocks multiplied. and He had like a, a, a kind of a, not magical, but like a supernatural way of helping his flocks to multiply so much that Laban, his uncle, was so jealous of him. So there was some blessing upon the life 
of Jacob. And he was blessed in having so many children and great-grandchildren to fill, to fill the land of Dothan. So much so that the future pharaohs want to, get, want to enslave them to kill the firstborn, enslave them to keep them under suppression so they won't take over from them someday. So there's an incredible blessing on, on Jacob's descendants. But especially, Joseph had two sons who received a, a blessing. And that was, it's kind of an interesting twist that happens there. What's the significance of that, do you think? I mean, a twist that fits Jacob's legacy in, in blessing others. You know, uh, Judah wasn't the firstborn. He was younger than Reuben. But instead of really the full blessing falling upon Reuben being firstborn, it was upon Judah to kind of repeat the example of Jacob vis-a-vis Esau. Well, Manasseh was the firstborn of Joseph, and Ephraim was secondborn. And you know, and like Joseph thought, my dad, Jacob is kind of old, maybe a bit senile, <laughs> he made a mistake. Because Jacob, in blessing these two sons, he put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, and left hand on the head of Manasseh, the older. And, and in the middle of that blessing, Joseph interfered. After all, he was second command of Egypt, and now his dad, he tried to help him out. He said, no, no, change change your hand, put your right hand on the head of Manasseh, he's the older. And Jacob said, excuse me, I know what I'm doing, it's intentional. If you ask me the question why, I don't know the answer. It, it just fits into the whole legacy of Jacob's experience. Things are reversed. Yeah, and, and, and perhaps you may be wondering why you're facing some challenges in your life. Maybe you're wondering why Things haven't gone the way, maybe it seems like your life has reversed. Well, don't, don't lose hope. You know, God has worked through reversed situations before, and, and he certainly has here. Just like Jacob was intentional, he wanted to bless the younger more than the older. God is intentional. He has reasons for what he does. I think that's the point we see in the whole book of Genesis. God has a plan, and he, he is not partial to age, or who is older, he looks at the character. He projects into the future, and he does the right thing. And I think that's encouraging for us to remember. When things don't go the way that we expect or the way that we want, it doesn't mean that God's plan is not working out. It means that he's still on the throne, he's still in control, and he's still guiding and directing things, even when they don't seem like they're the way that we would like. God still has a plan for us. Can I add one thing here? Absolutely. I think if we believe and practice this philosophy, we'll be happier, life would be more meaningful. And that is, there's evil in this world. There are people who mean evil. But God says, God's philosophy is like, like Joseph's philosophy, who got it from God, said, whatever others mean for evil, you'll always find that God will work out for the good. So believing that, practicing, we can never lose. So if you complain about, oh, things are going bad, people mean to be evil toward us, so what's the big deal? Because God will turn that for good. If we believe that, we'll be more at peace, we'll be more settled, we'll be more anchored. I think you're absolutely right. And that doesn't mean that bad things aren't bad. You know, evil is still evil. 
But remember that God can work through that. And so sometimes when we run into something that's unexpected, unpleasant, or just downright painful, God can still work through that to bring good from it. I think I mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago. A friend of mine who used to work at a at a sawmill had a bad accident and really destroyed his shoulder, but that that laid him aside long enough that he could spend some time in God's Word, and it brought him back into a relationship with Jesus. So things like that give us some encouragement that God's still in control and that even the bad things that are happening in our lives can be meant for good. We're going to come back in just a few minutes with our last and final segment of this quarter on the book of Genesis. We're going to continue looking at Jacob, Israel, in Egypt. But I want to remind you one more time, if you have not yet done so, the the clock is running out. Make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter Sabbath school lesson on the book of Genesis. You can pick it up in the It Is Written store. That's itiswritten.shop. You will receive such a blessing from that book, and it will add so much more to your enjoyment of the book of Genesis. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. We'll be right back. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. Itiswritten.study Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. It is written dot study. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line up online from It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are tying together now the very last segment of the book of Genesis. And we've been talking about Israel in Egypt. You know, when when we take a look at the book of Genesis, it of course interacts, intersects with other books of the Bible later on. And there's a segment in the book of Deuteronomy that I think is is really significant. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. Dr. Saman, would you read that? And uh, and what what do we pull out of this that that helps us understand the world that we live in today? Because this chapter in Deuteronomy is about blessings and cursing. It's about life and death. And God gives us a free choice. God doesn't intend for us to be cursed, but we choose things that cause the the cursing. So uh, let's read verse 19. 
it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. I have said before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And then if we go to verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. In other words, it's a clear choice. God is saying to us, look, you can have the blessings and you can have life. So like in amazement, he just asked, why don't you choose life? Why don't you choose the blessings that you may live and have a productive, meaningful life? So to me, a sensible thing to do is to receive God's blessings, to choose God's, the life he gives us by clinging to him. That would make sense. And of course, he wants us to do that, but he, he's not going to hogtie us and, and force us to make the right decision. He, like you said, he gives us freedom to choose. And to choose a sensible, logical thing. I mean, it should be normal for human beings to choose life instead of death and to have a blessing instead of a curse. But if, we, if, if there's curse leveled against us, it's our choice. God doesn't want that. And if we're willing to repent and draw, cling to him, he will take that curse away from us and give us his blessing and his eternal life. So, so just because we've made a poor choice, we've exercised our free will, we've chosen not a blessing but a curse, it doesn't mean that we have to keep going down that road or that we have to keep choosing poorly or that, or that if something bad has happened to us, that that's the end. There's a possibility to go in the right direction. And God wants it that way. Remember the wise man Solomon said, the ending of something is better than its beginning. So, I mean, the awesome thing, if somebody received cursing in his life and death in his life, and now he repents and clings to God, then everything can change. And the ending of that experience can be better than the beginning of it, and that gives everybody hope. And we've seen people in the book of Genesis who've gone through some challenging experiences. Jacob certainly did. Joseph certainly did. Uh, Moses went through some, some trying times as well. We're going to take a look at that as well. Over and over in the Bible, Jesus went through some trying times. But there's always hope. As long as there's life and breath, there's hope. There's also a warning in Ezekiel. Like if somebody starts his life righteous, righteous, righteous all along, but then he disobeys God. So, so it, can be, it can be the other situation. doesn't mean if somebody chose life and chose blessings, he can choose not to have those and his life would be reversed. So, so people are free to choose at any time, but certainly it's a great celebration, great joy when a sinner, a disobedient person comes back at the end of his life to conclude his life with God. And we, we see this, this idea of obedience and disobedience, blessings and cursings. Back over in Genesis as well, uh, I want to take a look at Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, that talks about Judah, and uh, obviously there's a reference here or, or an implication of, of Reuben as well. What do we see in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10 that help us to understand this? Well, 
It's interesting. He starts with the oldest. That's Reuben. He says good things about him. But at the end he said something negative. And he wasn't making this up. It actually happened. He's just reviewing what Reuben experienced in his life. And then he moves on to Judah. The focus he is on Judah. Oh my. So many things about future Messiah. How through Judah's line, salvation has come to this world. In, in one place, he, he calls the coming Redeemer Shiloh. And, and what does the word Shiloh mean? When you look it up in the dictionary, it's a Hebrew word, it means peace, uh, rest, restoration. Through the line of Judah, who was close to God, close to his father, Jesus was going to come to redeem the whole world. And that's the hope. Uh, the, the, the blessing upon Judah gives us is he is the line of Judah. Jesus was called the line of Judah. Great blessings came through Judah. Great blessings were going to come through the line of Judah. Jesus, and the ultimate blessing is to save all of us when Jesus comes again. You know, also through, through the line of Judah came uh, King David. King David. And so you, you've got this this royalty that's between Jesus and David, and it's, it's royalty that comes down through there. King, King David, King Jesus, royal and loyal. Because one thing about Judah, he was loyal. Joseph was loyal. Reuben, you know, it says something about Reuben after saying all the nice things. He's like water. He's changeable. He's unstable. He was impulsive. I'm so glad Judah wasn't. I'm so glad, especially King Jesus, not impulsive, not changeable. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. We can depend on him 100%. Let, let's dive quickly into another verse that's nearby here. We, we, we kind of jumped into verses 8 through 10, but I want to go back to verse number 7. And it's talking here about Simon and Levi, and it says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. If you just read through that, you might miss something. You might but miss it, something. But if you slow down, you might pick it up. What is that something? Because, you know, we have the tendency to have people be cursed. <laughs> but here, if you, as you said, if you look carefully, it says their anger was cursed which tells you something about God. He loves the sinner, but he hates the anger, he hates the sin. Now, I wish today in our modern society we stick to that. That's a very balanced approach. That's God's approach. But today, what happens? We want to love the sinner, and that's wonderful. We need to continue loving the sinner. But then now, we want people to accept the sinning, to feel cozy with the sinning, to tolerate the sinning. And even now, to the point of celebrating the sinning. And if you don't celebrate the sinning, you are a hate monger. But our choice should be God's choice. We love the sinner, but we must always hate the sin. We must always hate the anger. Nothing wrong with that. That's God's approach. It should be our approach. No matter how society changes. No, absolutely. Can you imagine what the world, how different the world would be if, if everybody adopted God's approach, his viewpoint. And of course, unfortunately, we know that that's not going to be the case. It would be wonderful if it was, but, uh, but we can do our parts. We can follow God's guidance. Because if we 
you know, accept and celebrate the sinning, what happens? We're hurting the sinners more because they become emboldened in doing what's wrong because it's accepted, celebrated by everybody. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way the world is going. <clears throat> we are getting to the very end of Genesis here. As we're concluding Genesis, we, we would hope and expect that God would leave us on a, on a positive note mm-hmm. with a message of some sort of hope in the book of Genesis. Yes. What kind of hope do we find in the, in the conclusion of the book of Genesis? Well, of course, you know, there are three things. We turn to earthly Canaan, of course, after 400 years, and our hope awaiting the heavenly Canaan. And another hopeful thing is bringing good out of evil, as we mentioned before. It's an amazing philosophy to think of life that way. And finally, salvation is going to be brought to the whole human race. These are three points of hope. So there's hope in the book of Genesis from the beginning to the end, even though there's some, been some ups and downs and we find sin introduced here. We just spent a few weeks looking at the book or at the, at the life of Joseph. Joseph is kind of a, a type of Jesus. He gives us an, an idea of who Jesus is and, and what God wants to do through Jesus. As we're tying everything together here, what kind of, of hope do we see there? There are amazing parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And, and the first one I thought of, the Jewish leaders were envious of Jesus. And the brothers of Joseph were envious of him. Then, they sold him as a slave to Egypt. Slave. And, and Judas sold Jesus for a price of a slave. Then, uh, thirdly, Joseph, Joseph was falsely accused. And Jesus was falsely accused. And then, uh, another point I thought of, uh, condemned by false witnesses. Both had false witnesses. And finally, they both had in common this abundant forgiveness. Compare them. Jesus said on the cross, pray for his enemies, Father forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Joseph, when his brothers were afraid he might punish them at the death of his father Jacob, he said, don't be afraid, fear not. Jesus mentioned that phrase, fear not, because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what God wants for your life. You may be going through some challenges. Be encouraged. God wants those challenges to result in good. Dr. Saman, thank you once again for joining us. And we want to thank you also for joining us on our 13-week journey through the book of Genesis. If you've been blessed by our studies, let other people know that this program exists so that they can be blessed as well. When we come back next week, we're going to have a brand new quarter, a brand new study on a brand new subject, and you are going to be blessed as we delve into it. I want to encourage you, stay strong in Jesus. Stay close to him, and one of the best ways that you can do that is to study your Bible. That's what Sabbath school is all about. God bless you. Have a wonderful day, and we look forward to seeing you again next week on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.